All right, guys, can we, uh, can we give it one more time for DJ HT back there? Come on. Woo. Man, she killed it. All right, well, my name's Drake. Uh, pumped to have you guys here again tonight. If you guys are new, welcome to the Salt Company. We are actually kicking off a new series in the book of Corinthians. So if you don't have a Bible, find one under the seats around you, flip to page 554, and you will be there. Um, and so... We're, we're jumping into this book, and what, what we as Salt Company love to do is that we love just walking through books of the Bible. And so we did kind of our introduction, foundation series, who we are, but now we want to get into a text and walk through it and see what God does. So the rest of the semester, almost, we're going to be walking through First and Second Corinthians, the series title, Corinthians. So we took a lot of time for that. Um, but before we spend a whole semester, figured you probably want a little bit of background, of what the city of Corinth was. So it grew, Corinth grew to be one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And the reason why it was such a large city is that it was a port city. So you had people coming from all over and it was a melting pot, a gathering place for people from all over the Roman Empire coming together. And it was actually known as a a lively city with a lot going on. Um, And it all centered around one main thing, that drew many people to Corinth. Uh, It all centered around this huge temple right in the middle of the city, the temple of Aphrodite. So this temple to Aphrodite, the goddess, if you don't know who that is, the goddess of love and pleasure. So this is literally the goddess that they worshiped in this city. And get this, the way that they would worship Aphrodite is that people would go into this temple and they would sleep with one of the thousands of temple prostitutes, and that is how they bring praise to this goddess. That is what this city was sur- like, s- surrounded by. That's what the city was centered on, and that's why people by the masses would come and stay in this city because there was no restrictions to anyone's sexuality. Like anything went in this city. This city made Vegas look like a good place to raise a family. Like it made it look like a decent city. But Corinth at the time was one of the most reckless cities. And in history, it is one of the most reckless cities. Guys, this, they created a term throughout the rest of the world to describe reckless sexual immorality. That term was that you were Corinthianizing. Like they were literally saying, you are like the Corinthians if you are being reckless in your immorality. And that's what made people think how weird and how wild someone's situation must be be if they were connected with the Corinthians. And so success and immorality was the motivation for the people in Corinth. That's what drove the people that were there. And in this city... God gave Paul an incredible promise. So you can look at the screens. We're gonna jump to Acts 18 real quick, uh, starting in verse nine, where it says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Like Paul is standing in this city and he sees a couple people come to know Jesus 
and he's looking out to the most, one of the most dark cities of that time. And God says, there are many people in this city who are my people. I just need you to go and proclaim the gospel to them. And so then Paul stays in the city. And to his amazement, he sees tons of people coming to know Jesus. And they build this church in Corinth that people are beginning to live a life set apart for Jesus when so many people are running after the rest of the world. But as a little time passes and Paul kind of moves on to another church to plant in another city, this church begins to steer away from Jesus a little bit more. And it begins to look more and more like the city of Corinth that it's in than a house of God celebrating Jesus. And there was, guys, there was, as we go through this, we're gonna see some messed up stuff that happens in this church. Like they would take part in communion and there would be tables at the front and people would go in a line to take part in this sacred ritual of like celebrating the, the body of Jesus that was broken for them and the blood of Jesus by drinking the wine that was shed for them. And people in the back wouldn't even be able to take communion because the people in the front were getting hammered off the wine. They were literally taking the cup, downing it so no one else could do communion. There was a dude who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, um, which is an issue, and then nobody said anything about it. Like, no one confronted him, like, hey, maybe don't do that. Maybe there's something better for you to do. Like, nobody confronted him about this at all. And then there's just incredible division. People basically looked at the leadership that was in the city of Corinth, and they saw their power they saw the knowledge that they had and they saw the status that they were having and they wanted to be more like them. And so what that caused them to do is try to build for themselves their own name and tear down other people in the Corinthian church for the sake of their name being lifted up. And Paul, I believe, starts off with this because he's basically hitting at this idea that your heart to make your name great is what's leading to so much other reckless living that we'll see in the rest of the scriptures. Like your desire for your name to be lifted on a pedestal is what's causing you to run wild and sin, to create division in the church. And this, these people were trying to find out for themselves this one question that the rest of the city was also asking themselves, which is how do we become great? And so that's, that's the big idea that I almost want us to sit under tonight. Like, how do we become great as people? Because they were looking at the world and trying to get their ideas from it. And so let's start in verse 18, chapter one. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, both to Jews and to folly to Gentiles. 
And so right away, we're gonna look at what is the wisdom of the world? So it talks about two different groups of people. It talks about the Jewish people in this city as well as the Greek. And I just wanna break down a little bit because both of them were basically trying to create for themselves a reason why they were the greatest people in that city. They're trying to create some system that lifted them up on a pedestal. And so for the Jewish people, they took pride in their morality. Like they were the, the chosen people of God. They were the people that God saw as so special to give the promises to them. And they hold so fastly to the laws of God. Therefore, they are deserving to be in God's presence. They are the people set apart for him. That's what makes them amazing. But then you have the Greek who live off the idea of a higher thought, a higher knowledge than other people. There was this philosophical era to them that they were seeking to have more knowledge than anyone else, and that knowledge gave them power. Basically, both of these, they sought value in someone who is high in society. Because of their wisdom that they had, or the noble upbringing that they had as well. The, the royal family that they came from. But this is so similar to the world today, isn't it? Like we look around at people and we are drawn to people who are in high status. Like we wanna look good for people who are in higher positions and we wanna gravitate around people with success to make us look better as well. Or we ourselves know that knowledge is power. Like we don't even delight in knowledge itself. We just delight that we have more of it than someone else. And so we will constantly be chasing for more knowledge, for more thought, so that we can stand out. And all of these have a common understanding of what it looks like to be great in a society. In this situation, greatness is found in building a name for yourself. And so the people of the church felt that they needed to be more like these leaders in the society. They, they felt like they needed to stand out, that they needed to have more knowledge, that they needed to look different than other people so that they would be on a pedestal, that people would look at them with the same awe and the same praise that they looked at these other leaders. And so what they do? They use their knowledge and their ability to know all the answers as a way to set themselves apart from people that didn't. They lived a constant life of comparing themselves with people in the church, and they would look down at some people because they didn't live the way that I did, or they would look up to people and be like, man, I strive to be more like them. So there would be this constant comparison game of how do I measure up with everyone else? They would get extremely defensive if anyone approached them with anything wrong in their life, like if someone confronted them with something of like, hey, I think you need to correct your life in this way, or because I love you, I see this sin in your life, and I don't want you to be walking that anymore, they would get defensive because they needed to build a name for themselves. And any negativity was a threat to their name, and so they wanted to push away any brokenness that they had in their life. In order to be on a pedestal, they had to stand out. Their question began to be, how can I climb the ladder of importance in this church? And if we're being real with ourselves, this describes so many of us in this room. 
we can as well get caught up in seeking to live this life to make our name great. So as I was reflecting on this, it brought me back to my, my freshman year in Salt Company. And very quickly, I, I feel like I realized in my heart, like there are things that I can do to make myself stand out in Salt Company. Like if I just serve more than other people, or if I serve on a stage where everyone else sees me serving, then I will stand out amongst the other people. Or if I faithfully attend every event that Salt Company has, even the ones I'm not required to go, even the ones that are early in the morning, would people look at me differently? If I read a ton of books, if I acquired a lot of knowledge, if I had eloquence in the way that I spoke to people, if I had the answers, would people look at me differently? I'd compare my life with other students and salt and see where I measured up amongst the rest of them. Do I have as much boldness in sharing the gospel as them? Do I have as humble of a heart as them? Which is a weird question to ask yourself when I'm trying to measure myself up. And through all of that, I was seeking to be a great Christian in the eyes of others. I wanted to be the next amazing salt leader and I wanted people to see me that way. My heart was seeking to make great of my name. And the reality is that the scary part of it is that I was using incredible, just great things in the church, great ways to live in the church that people look at and applaud. I was using that to fuel my name instead of lifting up Christ. So I ask, what about your life? Is there anything in your life that you feel like you take pride that you have more than someone else in this room? Maybe it's the, the knowledge that you had, that you've grown up in the church and that you know all the answers, therefore you think you stand out. Maybe it's, hey, I've actually grown up to be a pretty decent person. I haven't lived my life like this person. Therefore, I feel better and I feel more able to be in this room. Or another way to ask this is, do you feel insecure about any of those things? Do you feel insecure that you don't have all of the answers? Do you feel secure that maybe you don't have the same background of growing up in the church and there's some brokenness in your past and so you feel like you look around the room and you don't know where you fit in. You feel like you don't measure up to be in this room because the reality is that insecurity is the same thing as pride. We're seeking to make our name great. It's just we feel like we can't do it. We often can get caught up in following this world and attempting to make a name for ourselves and we realize that is the exact opposite direction of what the cross calls us to do. That the goal of this world is to get to a point where you are placed on a pedestal and people praise you, that they applaud you, that they look at your life and say, I wanna be like this person. And since that is the route of this world, the cross looks like complete foolishness. And so our next point is the foolishness of the cross. In verse 18, it just starts off, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. How is the cross of Christ foolish to the world? I mean, let's just look at the story of it. Jesus, who existed for all of eternity, chose to come to this world to be a mortal man. 
Jesus had all of the riches in heaven and he chose to walk as someone who didn't come from a noble upbringing, who was from a town that no one really cared about and no one saw him as someone that was great. He left his throne to come to this earth to not be on a pedestal, but to be raised up on a cross. He left his relationship with a perfect father to come live amongst a broken people. Christ gave up everything that he had and, had, and he knew that he wasn't going, going to gain anything from it, that he was going to give it all. And so Philippians 2 you can look up at the screens again. It goes in verse five as it's talking about Christ's example of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The way of the cross shows us that greatness is found not by making a name for yourself, but by giving up your name. And this is why the world sees the cross as complete foolishness. Like it looks like you're going in the exact opposite direction. I'm trying to receive praise. I'm trying to receive recognition and power. This looks like you're choosing to give it up completely. Like never in the news do we see an incredible riches to rags story. And if we do, they're definitely not celebrating the story. They're tearing the person down for what they went through. And so when Jesus took the cross, all of the people that were around him were basically looking at him on the cross and say, see, I told you so. This is the guy that you thought was a leader. This is the guy who you thought had wisdom and power. He is crippled upon a cross dying right now. How could you follow someone like that? This isn't going to bring any good to your name. And even the disciples fled from him. Like they saw what was happening. They expected him to take the throne in Jerusalem and that they were going to be his right-hand men getting all the glory of being next to Jesus. But he didn't take the throne. He took the cross. And so they fled because now there's going to be negative consequences if you are associated with Jesus. And we as well can try and hide Jesus from our life if we fear that there could be a negative consequence. So uh, one big adjustment that I've had to make this summer that we've all had to make is the whole not holding your phone while driving rule that, uh, or law, not a rule, that Minnesota put down. And so I'm, I'm trying, guys. Like, I know I get that it's safer to not touch your phone, and I'm working on it. Sometimes you got to skip a song. Like, it's important. But here's the thing. I feel like it's created more, like, paranoia in me. Like, every time I see a cop, I'm, like, trying to, like, divert my eyes from my phone. I don't even want them to see me looking at it. Like, I don't want to be touching it. I don't want to put my hands anywhere around it. Like, what if they stop me? And so I just try to, like, maybe try to just throw it in the back seat. Like, should I just out the window? Whatever I need to do to not associate myself with this phone because it could bring about negative consequences for me. Guys, how often do we, in a similar way, disassociate ourselves from Jesus because there could be negative consequences of people's views of us? 
that we are worried what people might think of us if they associate us with Jesus. And so we'll tell them about other parts of our life. We'll share with them other things that we're pumped about, but we won't bring up how we are delighted in Jesus, that we have started following him with our life because we are worried what they might think. And guys, if we are doing that, we are still focused on making a great name for ourselves. But the cross shows us that giving up our name is the true path to greatness. Guys, the, the next part of the verse in Philippians 2, after it talks about Jesus being humbled to the point of death on a cross, it says this in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God chose to bring greatness to Jesus' name in this way to bring shame to all of the wise people of the world that thought they knew how to make their name great. Thought they knew how to climb this ladder, but we see Jesus stepping down that ladder in humility and giving up his life in order to take the right hand of God. That this is the complete opposite direction than what the world is running to, to try to make a great name for themselves. But we realize that why would we try to make a name for ourselves when this life is literally a mist? It's here one second, gone the next. Why would we spend all of our time trying to pour into our image when it's going to be gone so quickly? And we realize that our name wasn't the one that was meant to be praised. That no knowledge no amount of good works, no status, no image in other people's eyes could ever make us right before a holy God. That we can realize that we actually don't have it all together. That we've been trying and exhausting our lives, trying to create an image and a name for ourselves, but we come to realize time and time again that we fall short of that. But the joy is that once we realize that we don't have it all together, we get to run to the throne of grace. And only at the throne of grace will we find true greatness. Our last point is the power of the cross. Guys, greatness is found when we run to Jesus and he gives us a new name. Let's look back at the beginning of this passage to see Paul's introduction to this church. Guys, I want you, before we read this, remember what the situation is in this church. The radical brokenness, the immorality, the division that's created by people's pride, that they're tearing down people and creating divisions in their church. How do you think Paul would address them? How would you address someone who is treating you in such a way? Let's look how Paul does it. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, tough name, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to God, to my God always, 
for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Guys, how amazing is that? Like we think about the brokenness in this church and you, you think Paul might come in like guns blazing, like ready to get these people back on the right path, but he, he calls them saints. Like these people are not what we think about when we think of saints. But these broken people, he calls them saints because he has the perspective of them that Christ now has for them, even when they can't see it themselves. That he would call them blameless, that he would say that you have already received all of the knowledge and all of the great speech that you could ever want, that Christ has enriched you in that. You don't need to be chasing that for yourself, that you are not lacking in any gift but that Christ has supplied that to you in full. That their confidence to be with Jesus for eternity does not rest on their hands. And thanks be to God, because we see that they are running away from Jesus, but it says that Christ in his strong hand will sustain them until the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Like how incredible is that for us to know that our relationship for all of eternity with God is based on his faithfulness and not our own. That's what he wants to remind them of. He wants them to look at the name that Christ has already given you. You have obviously forgotten about it. I want you to be brought back to this great name that Christ has blessed you with, that he has called you a saint. Because if you understand that that is who you are, you won't be running around looking to make your own name great because it will always fall short of the name that Christ has given you. Your name has gone from being a child of wrath to a saint before the eyes of the God of the universe. Before the greatest and most powerful person that we should ever worry about our standing before, we are now saints and sons and daughters. That the reality is that before, that the God who created the stars and the earth and the mountains and the ocean, that he would look at you and call you blameless. That is your inheritance as a saint. That is what you have been given. And so you no longer have to earn a name for yourself. You get to accept what Jesus has given you. And though we give our greatest attempts to earn a name for ourselves, the cross tells us that we just have to recognize that we can't do it on our own. That we come to Jesus and say, I need your help to receive this name of saint. I need you because I am unable to do it on my own. So I've, uh, I've been working on doing a lot of home projects. So I, I'm pretty much a, a rookie at woodworking, as though, although I don't want to tell myself that. But I've been trying to like figure out my way around Home Depot. My dad like knows that place like the back of his hand. I feel completely helpless. But because I don't want to be a rookie, I act like I know where everything is. And so I'm not going to ask for help. 
Like I'm gonna walk around this store and I will spend hours if I kept trying to figure it out on my own. And for the most part, I would fail to even find what I was looking for in the first place. But when I come to my senses and like, I have no idea where anything is in the store, why don't I just ask somebody that works here that knows everything about it and right away, they are able to help me and bring me to the very thing that I was looking for in the first place. Guys, we can endlessly put in effort to be someone that we will never become. We can endlessly put in effort to try to create this image for ourselves that will satisfy us, but we will come to a point where we realize we are helpless and that we need to come to Jesus and that he will give us the name that we were longing for from the first place. That Jesus will just gift this name for us and that he will actually welcome us in to walk like Christ in this earth as well. Let's wrap up in 26. Chapter one, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, kind of coming in hard at these people, really dissing them. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. By God's grace, our eyes the eyes of our heart have been opened to realize that we are completely helpless, that we have been running around exhausting ourselves, trying to create this perfect name for ourselves so that others would look at us with awe and praise. And we have also realized that by God's grace, it is nothing of our own doing, but completely his grace that he lavishes us with, that Christ is the one that has brought us back into relationship with him, that through Christ, we have righteousness, a right standing with God. We have sanctification set apart as holy, and we have redemption with God. That the only name to boast in is Christ himself. When we see the beauty of the gospel, that we are a broken people, we will realize that there's actually no reason for us to put our name on a pedestal, but that Christ himself is the only one that deserves to be there. This will cause us to be a people who walk more like Jesus on this world because the cross turns the pursuit of greatness upside down. We will no longer be a group of people in this room racing to get to the pedestal but we will begin laying down our lives, laying down our desires, laying down our time for the sake of other people. That living like Christ in this way will bring God so much glory to the people that are blind to him around us. That we will actually have boldness to share the gospel with people because what they think of us doesn't affect who we are in Christ. And our hopes would be that people might stop exhausting their life and trying to make a name for themselves and just come to Jesus and receive the name that he has gifted them, that he died for them to have, that he is welcoming them in, that he wants us to walk as saints with him. Let's pray.
Father, we, yeah, we need you. God, our heart is, is broken. There is nothing in and of ourselves that deserves, there's nothing in and of myself, God, that deserves praise, that deserves a status that would, yeah, lift up my spirits and feel like I have made it. But God, help us to realize that whatever name we could create for ourselves is nothing in comparison to the one that you have given us. That we as broken people with, would have humble hearts by your grace, that we would come to you, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would show us what is the hope to which we have been called, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power that you work for those in Christ Jesus. The same power that lifted Jesus from the grave, God, you have welcomed us into. So help us to see your glory. Help us to put you on the pedestal. And even when we're broken, would we cling to the reality that your faithfulness is what draws us to the end. So in every aspect of life, God, would we celebrate you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.